Good morning. I am so glad to have so many of you on the line with me this morning. As some of you know, I recently launched IGotAQ.com, a website where anyone can anonymously submit questions concerning Christianity, God, Jesus, the Bible, how to live a Christian life. And initially, the idea was to address the questions that were submitted during our Wednesday night Bible study. However, this particular question that I'm going to address today seemed better suited for Sunday morning because of its widespread impact and outright attack on Christianity as a whole. I was a student of the study of apologetics and some tease and say that apologists are just lawyers for God. That's fine. I'll take that. The Bible Bible Deliverance Church was originated and birthed on the premise of ministry outside of the box, and that is a legacy that I deem will continue. What I want this ministry to be known for is answering the tough questions and tearing down barriers. For me, there there's no reason to simply regurgitate traditional sermons while the minds of those that are listening are plagued with questions. Questions that may ultimately be a barrier in their life, blocking them from drawing closer to God. In the light of my studies, one simple principle became incredibly prevalent. And if you continue to follow Bible deliverance, you will undoubtedly hear me say this over and over and over and over again. An inconsistent truth is a lie. God is consistent because he is truth. And if we read anything in the Bible that deems inconsistent with who God is, it is not that the Bible is conflicting or that God's character is tainted in any way. It is us who is conflicting, which stems from our unwillingness to study God's word in its entirety. I promise you, if you study the word of God, it will bring you to truth and into proper alignment and understanding of the character and principles of God. Now, the question that was asked was, how can Christians serve a God who is an advocate of slavery? This question made my blood boil. Not the submission of the question or even the person that submitted the question. What frustrated me was that I know that there is a cult that's out there that is posing this question to believers and unbelievers. And because most of us don't know how to answer this question, it becomes a seed, a doubt regarding the validity of the Bible and God planted in our minds. The manipulative tactic of demonic influences is what makes my blood boil. This is why the word of God says in 1 Peter 3.15, to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. The manipulative tactic regarding this question is frustrating, but I welcome the opportunity to answer it because it gives me the opportunity to do exactly what I was called to do, which is minister to truth. I encourage every believer to take time, turn off your TVs, log out of Facebook, and set aside some time to study the Word of God and ask the questions. Keep a notebook. Make the Word of God a priority in your heart and in your daily life.
so that when the devil comes knocking, you're prepared. I promise you he's coming. But I promise you this, if he comes my way, I'm prepared. And I am going to put Satan and his demons on notice quickly and let them know up front. I promise you this here ain't what you want. Now you can stand there and you can hear the truth or you can run away now with your lies. When someone tries to deface or taint the character of my God, I take it real personal. It's as if you're coming for one of my kids. It's funny how there is a total of 31,102 verses in the Bible. And the flawed human mind will take one verse and build an entire cult on without ever reading the other related verses. Before I get into answering the question, I want to give you sort of a clap back for those of anyone that is approached. And, um, you know, so you can use it while you're building up your knowledge of the word of God. If anyone comes to you with what deems to be conflicting um, to the word of God or concerning the character God of God, just ask them, what does the other 31,101 verses say about that? I promise you it'll shut them down real quick. Now, to properly answer the question regarding slavery and God, it required me to research the origin of slavery. See, the Bible tells us to study to show thyself approved. My dad taught me long, long time ago to take notice that it didn't say study the Bible to show thyself approved. It simply said study because sometimes you're studying will require the collaboration of historical events, customs, and trends of the time to arrive at and understand absolute truth. When we think of slavery, our minds immediately are drawn to bondage and abuse, oppressiveness, everything that happened on the grounds of America regarding slavery. America made the word slavery bad and disgusting. Biblically speaking, the word slave was synonymous with servant and what we would refer to today as employee. If you notice in the Bible, there's no mention of an employer-employee relationship, no reference to supervisors or contractors either. In biblical times, there were three status classes, royalty, landowners who were quote-unquote businessmen, and the poor who were slaves and servants, and they either worked for the royals or the businessmen. The word slave and servant we consider employees today. And what we call now employers or bosses or supervisors, in biblical times, they were called the master. Now, there were four classes of slaves. The first one later became known as indentured slaves or indentured servants, which were those who volunteered themselves to serve another in exchange for full provision of their needs and necessities. Sometimes this stretched to cover entire families. In New Testament times, there were doctors and lawyers and politicians that were actually slaves to someone. Some people actually chose to be slaves as to have all of their needs provided for by their masters. It was considered a worry-free way of living. The second class was temporary slaves who exchanged their servitude to pay off a debt to someone. 
the contract between the master and the slave was transferable, whereby the master could sell the contract to another party and the slave would then be obligated to complete the contract of work with the new owner. But many times the commissioned slave that was temporary asked the master if they could become permanent and be their indentured slave. Again, it was considered a worry-free way of living. Now, slavery also served as a purpose in absence of a penitentiary system in biblical times. For example, if a thief was caught stealing, he would be sentenced to be a slave to the one he stole from to pay off the value of what was stolen. Now, the fourth class of slavery was birthed out of everything that we deem ungodly, sheer greed, selfishness. It involved oppression, physical abuse, kidnapping, and inhumane treatment, which is, was the premise by which American slavery adopted. The whole idea that God was an advocate of slavery came from scriptures instructing, instructing slaves to obey their masters. We tend to struggle with two words, obey and submit. Those words make us think that we are giving power over to someone, forfeiting our independence or setting ourselves up to be taken advantage of. But what is never given much consideration is that when God says for us to obey or submit, whomever he is telling us to obey or submit to, he has actually given them more of a mandate and a multitude of detailed stipulations regarding their leadership. I encourage you all, especially wives who struggle with submit to your husbands to read the mandate and stipulation God has put on the husband and then ask yourself, if your husband was the type of man that followed the mandate of God, would you be the wife that would have no problem submitting? My personal opinion is I think that women would delight themselves in submitting to a man who upheld the mandates God has given husbands. The same principle applies to the verses in the Bible that reads, slaves obey your master. Let's substitute the word slave for employees and the word master for employer. Then the verse would read, employees, obey your employer. Most of us understand that principle because we understand that an employee works for an employer and that the employer is paying the employee to do a job and it must be done how the employer deems appropriate. Most employers provide their employees with a manual or guidelines when they start a job outlining what is expected, the do's and the don'ts the ramifications, and even the legal rights. Same principle with slaves and masters. The only difference is that we have come to detest the word slave because of the stigma America engraved in history. But the first employer-employee manual was written by God before we even adopted the terms employer-employee. Let's review the mandates God put in place, which was intended to promote and establish work conditions between slaves and masters, what we would now call employer and employees. 
It's very clear that the scripture was never intended to operate according to a standard that America weaved into its fiber. I'm not going to call out each scripture as I've outlined over a dozen biblical mandates concerning slavery, as some of them have a multitude of scripture references concerning each one of them. But what I have done is I have made available on our website my sermon notes, which provides all the actual scriptural references regarding slave and master relationships. The first one is that biblical slavery is described not as one man being the property of another, but one man's labor being the property of another. Just as today's copyright laws dictate that any thing one creates while on the clock of their employer rightfully belongs to the employer. Hence, the employer owns the work of the employee's labor, which is completed during contracted hours. It is imperative that we recognize, acknowledge, and accept that God never intended for us to be considered as property. He did not uniquely and masterfully create us to be owned by another. We were created in the image and in the likeness of God, for no one can own God and no one should set their sights on owning the only thing God created in his image and likeness, which is us human beings. Now, God was so insistent concerning not being committed or bound by one another that he even put in place a timeline on how long a slave could serve to pay off a debt. Six years. Every seventh year, all debts were forgiven. This is where the concept of delinquent credit coming off our credit reports was derived. You see, our American forefathers knew the word of God. They just chose not to implement it when it conflicted with their greed and their selfishness. Scripture details that slaves were not to be treated harshly. They were to be treated with respect, kindness, and even as a member of the family. And because of God's gift of freedom, His word instructed that slaves were to be allowed to make their own decision regarding their freedom, not to be held against their will. The Bible says slaves were to be released for any reason, were to be released with all of their possessions. And in some cases, upon being freed, slaves were to receive from their masters gifts from the flocks, from the crops and from the wine. This is where the promise of 40 acres and a mule was derived when our ancestors were freed. Again, our American forefathers knew the word of God, just chose not to implement it. Biblical slavery declared slaves were to be freed if not treated properly, if they were injured or beaten. Scripture also outlines that slaves were to be allowed religious freedom. This verse is why there is to be no discrimination on our jobs today due 
to religious preference. God also deemed that masters were to be held accountable and punished for the mistreatment of slaves. Again, we need accountable for the treatment of our foreparents, for they chose to go against the biblical mandate and commit sins against the slaves and the word of God. The Bible goes on to tell us that kidnapping one to be held as a slave was deemed unlawful and ungodly, and slaves were not required to submit. God said that slaves that ran away from their masters expressing a desire for freedom was not to be returned making runaway slaves rightful in their actions and slave catching unlawful in the eyes of God. God's law said if a slave was serving to pay off a debt, the debt could be paid in full at any time by anyone with no prepayment penalty, a concept implemented and upheld in our mortgage the biblical mandate God ordained says that slaves had rights even within the homes of their masters and as part of the family, they could even share in the inheritance. To the one who asked this question, thank you for your submission and please keep reaching out for answers. But I must encourage you to never use one scripture to make a determination about the Bible or God. For when we embrace lies concerning God and or his word, we have crossed the line of blasphemy, which could ultimately cost us our souls. My grandmother used to call those people who could quote a verse, but knew no biblical principles to uphold it, verse runners. <laughs> those were people that read a verse and, and just ran with it. To all the verse runners, I say, study the 31,102 verses. Study shows that slavery in itself was not the problem. Just like today, sin was and is the problem. As people for thousands of years have gone against the mandate of God to pursue their own agenda. In the time of American slavery, there was a special Bible given to slaves. It only contained verses regarding slavery that called for the slaves to obey their masters. It never detailed the biblical mandate God put on the masters. Our four parents had truth withheld from them, but we don't have to walk as if the truth is hidden from us. All we have to do is commit ourselves to learn the word of God. Thank God for the abolitionists who studied the true Bible and were able to use the word of God for what it was intended to free those who are bound. There are currently only two copies of that slave Bible, but because we won't commit to studying truth, we allow the devil to utilize what he meant for evil to guide and direct our minds through pro thought processes and beliefs and even faith in God today as cults are continuously on the rise. The word of God repeatedly confirms that slavery existed for several different reasons, none of which involved one human 
owning another. And if those who profess to be lovers of God and who built America on the principle of in God we trust had remained committed to his ordained mandates, we would have never known the oppressive side of slavery. Just as today, if employers and employees would follow the mandate of God, we would never hear of any violation of labor laws. As we travel even into the New Testament, we see that Paul wrote how slaves and masters were to act and react to one another, but he never endorsed involuntary slavery. Paul simply offered spiritual counsel to Christian slaves and and masters, no different than the regulations that guide our labor laws today. When we look at the classes of slaves, the command, slaves, obey your masters, has a trifold meaning. For the slave contracted to pay off a debt or who voluntarily committed themselves to work for provisions, it translates into simply honor your contract. As a slave sentence for repentance of criminal activity, the command translates into accept responsibility for your wrongs. Now, all throughout time, man has made the choice to sin and go against the mandate of God. The command, obey your master for those who were being held against their will and oppressed. The command is simply saying, do not put yourself in position to be abused or hurt, for this is not your fight. See, sometimes God, is. this ain't your fight. Yes, they have sinned against you. This is what God is saying. But even more, they have sinned against me. Seek and trust me, your God, and I will lead you to freedom. And throughout history, God did just that. He freed the oppressed time and time and time again. To further prove that God by no means is an advocate of slavery is the biblical story that tells of the freeing of the Israelites. The Israelites were oppressed slaves, being held against their will and being treated inhumanely. Pharaoh was the king who enslaved the Israelites. God sent Moses to tell Pharaoh to free them. Pharaoh repeatedly said no to setting the slaves free. And every single time he said no, God sent another plague upon him. One plague cost Pharaoh the life of his firstborn son. Finally, Pharaoh freed them. But then he had a change of heart and sent his army after the Israelites to recapture them and bring them back into slavery. The Israelites stood at the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army behind them. And just as they were about to lose hope, God told Moses to hold up his staff. And when he did, God parted the Red Sea and allowed them to cross into freedom and then closed the sea behind them and drowned Pharaoh's entire army. The parting of the Red Sea was the very first Underground Railroad. Harriet Tubman was nicknamed Moses after the biblical Moses who repeatedly petitioned for the freedom of the Israelites and eventually led them to freedom. If you haven't seen the movie Harriet, I'm telling you, you have to see it. It's a must see. 
it astounded me how she was known for and how it was documented as part of her history and her legacy, how she would go into trances where God would speak to her and he would give her clear instructions on which way to go to not just free herself, but time and time again to lead others into freedom. The Bible offers us a, a bit of advice in Galatians 5 and 1. It says, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. A yoke is a form of a shackle that is placed around the neck and is meant to steer and guide. The yoke of slavery is a shackle that commits you to an external source as your resource. As we studied the classes of slavery, each one was either based on the provision of the master or for the restitution to repay a debt or a crime. As I studied for this sermon, the more I studied, the more I became aware of a few things. One, the American government was truly founded on the principles of the Bible, though they have chosen to manipulate the truth of the Bible to suit their own own needs and desires and greed. It still confirms there's nothing wrong with the Bible. The fault of conflict falls on those who misinterpret and use it to manipulate and control others. However, the bigger fault still falls on those who choose not to read and study for themselves. The second thing I became very, very much aware of is the establishment of this country's labor and credit laws, which seem to have been derived from biblical guidelines for slavery. So am I saying that we shouldn't have jobs or open lines of credit? Absolutely not. What I'm saying is, as the youngins (laughs) would say, stay woke. If labor and credit laws have been aligned with biblical guidelines of slavery, those who incorporated those guidelines recognize that labor and credit are both forms of slavery. So we need to recognize that as well and be very conscious that we don't become slaves to either. There are those of us who dread going to work, others who are just stuck on numb because we just moving because the job pays the bills. And then there are those of us who are looking for job. Some are retired. And then we do have some that absolutely love their jobs and find fulfillment in their jobs. My point is this. If you do not absolutely love your job and, and find delight in how you earn a living, it's time you recognize that life is too short and too purposed by God to be yoked, allowing the existence or lack of of existence of a job to steer and to guide you. Now, please don't think I'm dismissing the need for finances to maintain any level of lifestyle. What I'm saying is don't let a job or the idea of a job consume your every thought or your every action or reaction. Be diligent in seeking purpose, seeking fulfillment, and seeking an opportunity to put your gifts to work. Don't throw in the towel and settle just for having your provisions met, for then you will have become a slave. 
Proverbs 18.60 says, A man's gift maketh room for him and bringeth him before great men. Pursue your purpose. Put your gift to work. Also be mine, mindful that the slave principle and mindset aligned with debt and credit will allow your wants and your desires to rage out of control and your credit will become like a fix. And just like a drug, you may experience incredible highs with it, but it will eventually turn on you and can destroy you. The credit module of today's economy, which is weaved into the fabric of the American dream, is designed to control you as it encourages debt to be accepted as our norm. People are consumed with their credit scores. Why? Because it determines how much stuff they can buy. Ultimately, how much debt they can get into. When you take a closer look at the intelligence behind this, you have to ask yourself, so I'm being rated on my ability to enslave myself to debt. And that rating is based on how much debt I'm in currently and how committed I am to my current enslavement. Just a little different perspective regarding credit. My warning is just avoid being entrapped by credit. Use credit for your big needs and always strategize as to how to get yourself out of debt. Proverbs 22, 7 reads, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Again, the word of God says, set us, Christ has set us free, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We have allowed various yokes in our lives, yokes that have made us in some cases physical slaves, mental slaves, social slaves, and even spiritual slaves. The media has manipulated our minds so that we are consumed with money and things to the point that emotionally we seek the likes and validations from everyone but God. We submit our physical bodies to all kinds of things to acquire money and things and to win what we think is the heart and commitment of others all without ever tapping into the purpose and heart of God. Our insecurities show up in full force as we allow ourselves to be lied to concerning our worth, never thinking to pick up the word of God and let what God says define us. Our flesh is rooted with deceit and lust, has made us slave to sins, basking in and accepting the violations against God as the norm, engraved and welcomed into our lifestyles. Ignorantly, we think, that God's wrath will never come. If we truly want to live free, there is a yoke we do need to pick up. It's not domineering. It's not manipulative. It doesn't require you to compromise your integrity or abort God's ordained purpose for your life. If you allow this yoke to guide and steer you, although it will often go against the grain of what the world has deemed as trending, it will ultimately be easier than anything the world, a man, a woman, or Satan can offer. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 through 30 provides the answer. 
as Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I personally like the message translation because it breaks it down so nicely. It starts off asking the question, are you tired? Worn out? Burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I pray this message taught you a little bit of history, but more importantly, I pray that it stirred in your heart and soul a deeper yearning for the word of God and for the presence of God in your life. Right now, I want to extend salvation to those who have never asked God to come into their heart. I also extend the opportunity for those who would like to renew their relationship with God. If either of these are you, just simply repeat after me. Lord, I come to you today as a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness of my sins. I thank you, Lord, for never leaving me. I thank you, Lord, for protecting me even when I gave no reverence to your covering. Lord, I am nothing without you. I invite you to come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. And I will follow you the rest of my days. If you have said these words, you are now co-heirs with Christ in the kingdom of God. If you accepted Christ for the first time or renewed your relationship with Christ today, I would love to hear from you. Please go on our website at www.bibledeliverance.org and send me a message. I am Pastor Deb, and again, I thank you for joining us today. And I invite you to join us, same number, same access code on Wednesday evenings at 8 p.m. And please submit your questions. I trust that you learned something today and today's topic was due to a question that was submitted. No question is too dumb, too crazy, and you can do it anonymously. Go to igotaq.com. That's igotaqaltogether.com. Submit your questions. I love you all. Have a wonderful day and be blessed.